Hi everybody, Joanna Harcourt Smith with you on a beautiful day and I'm grateful to be with Anne Weiser Cornell, PhD, on the phone from California. Anne Weiser Cornell was studying linguistics on a Woodrow Wilson Fellowship at the University of Chicago in 1972 when she met Eugene Gendling the originator of focusing. Learning focusing for her own personal growth led to a lifelong process of discovery. In 1980, Eugene Gendling invited Anne to assist his focusing workshop. Anne created one of the first workshops in focusing guiding in 1982 and today is internationally recognized as one of the leading innovators and theoreticians of focusing. She has taught focusing in 14 states and 17 countries, and her focusing books and manuals have been translated into six other languages. Welcome, Anne, and I would like to ask you to begin by telling us your internet address and also speak about the books that you have published and written. Thank you, Joanna. It's wonderful to be here with you. Thank you. My web address is focusingresources.com and I'm the author of The Power of Focusing and also a book called The Radical Acceptance of Everything. Mm. Could you tell us, to begin with, what attracted you to focusing and also what is focusing? Well, what attracted me to focusing is a a sort of inner sense that I needed something. Mm -hmm. I was 22 years old when I first met focusing. Mm -hmm. And I'd come from an alcoholic family background, my Dad was the alcoholic, my mom was the enabler, and in that atmosphere, there wasn't much room for truth, mm-hmm. for saying how you really felt, for knowing even what you felt about what was going on. We were in the kind of inner turmoil that we never talked about. Mom was always smiling, always saying, it's fine. And so there I was, at grad school carrying with me inside those same family patterns. That if I had some feelings or some knowing that something wasn't right, yes. I wasn't allowing myself to be aware of that. I was doing to myself exactly what my mother had done, smiling and saying, oh, it's fine. And that had gotten me to a place where I'd started to really be in pain, really notice Something's not working for me. And it was around that time that some friends of mine told me that there was a man teaching something interesting for free mm-hmm. the community church on Sunday nights. Wow. And come on down, let's give it a try. Walked into the room. There's this man sitting on the table because the room was so full of people that uh-huh. the only place he could sit where everyone could see him was up on a table. Uh-huh. And just calmly saying, go to the place in your body where you have feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I 
didn't really know what he was talking about intellectually. I, I felt, what? But at a deeper level, I felt so drawn to what he was saying that I kept going back every Sunday night until I finally got it. Wow. So what is focusing? It's really a, a relatively simple process. It's, it's as simple as slowing down and allowing your body to form the sense of how you are right now. Not quite the same as just noticing your emotions. There's always a whole sense that's more than just our emotions. It's available if we pause and let it come. Mm. And that is something Jenlin calls a felt sense. Mm-hmm. Something everyone's aware of, but nobody's ever named before. It could sometimes we call it the mood or the atmosphere, or the gut feeling, or the quality of how something feels. Uh-huh. His research into therapy had showed shown him that if you guide people to pay attention to this not in words felt sense, they start making life changes. They start being more of who they could be. They start letting go of old patterns and being able to be creative and innovative and step into something they hadn't been able to live before. And that's my experience with focusing, that it, over the years, has has let me become stronger, clearer, more myself, Mm -hmm. at the same time, always being compassionate and curious toward my own more difficult feelings. So this has to do with feeling compassionate about oneself? There is a quality of compassion, yes, toward one's own self. What I've noticed over the years is that if we're trying to change, and many of us are, we often do that at first by being negative, by criticizing ourselves or trying to move out, release, or get rid of anything in us that we don't like. This can be... It's very natural, but unfortunately it doesn't work at all. Uh When we try to get rid of our negatives, they persist. Yes, yes. So what we learn from focusing is that... By turning toward those places in us that we don't want or don't like and turning toward them compassionately, something new happens. We're no longer conceiving of them as just something difficult or the enemy. We're we're enabled to get curious about what that really is, and it comes as a fresh body sense. And so what we thought was just a problem turns into, or we discover that it is, life energy trying to live forward in the best way it can. Wow. And how can one turn towards these feelings? I often have the sense that I'm running away from these feelings, these senses. How can, with focusing, one turn towards these feelings? why the body is such a gift. Focusing is a body-oriented method, and I think more and more people these days are realizing how crucial is 
the body, body awareness, the here and now, mm-hmm. in being able to transform our lives. Mm-hmm. So we take a moment, we pause, and bring awareness into that inner area of the body, especially throat, chest, stomach, that whole inner area that's often sensitive mm-hmm. to emotion. Mm-hmm. When I bring my awareness inside right now, I find a very calm stomach. Mm-hmm. I'm often checking, how's my stomach? Is it calm? And if I find that it's not, then I know there's something there that I need to turn toward. Not turn away from. And Right. Now, this, of course, is a, is a practice. The more you do it, the easier it is. Mm-hmm. But if I feel that my stomach is tense, tight, upset, for example, mm-hmm. I would start by saying hello. An inner hello to something in me that's feeling upset. I would put a hand on the place where I feel it, stomach or throat or chest, as if with the hand I'm saying, okay, I know you're there, I'm with you. And so these, the language of hello, the moving of the hand, they're actually ways that we embody those attitudes of compassion and interested curiosity. Mm. If after doing that we find we still want to run away, Then we have room for one more hello, and that's hello to the part of me that wants to run away. Wow. So that it's no longer me wanting to run away, but a part of me. And I call that moving into presence, as I'm able to be present both to something tense or upset in my body and to something in me wanting to run away. Mm -hmm. I'm now holding that whole inner space of compassion. Mm-hmm. You, well, actually what I'd like to ask you is what personal innovations did or are you bringing to the work of Eugene Gendling? Well, I think the overall schema that I'm bringing, I would give the name inner relationship. Uh-huh. And that's why I call my branch or strand of focusing, I call it inner relationship focusing. Mm-hmm. In, in Jenlin's work, which I admire enormously, it's important to get a felt sense. As I mentioned a moment ago, a felt mm-hmm. sense is that holistic sense in which the whole situation is captured or summed up or held in one sense in the body. But as I worked with people, I discovered that this is often difficult for people to do. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that what is difficult for people about going into focusing is that they've become identified with aspects of themselves, with aspects of struggle and inner conflict. Uh of liking and not liking. We have a part of us that wants to go faster and another part that wants to go slower. Uh We have the fears of our own feelings. We have impatience with ourselves. Uh And these kinds of reactive states 
directly interfere with the ability to do focusing and receive its benefits. Mm-hmm. And so I felt I needed to address the process of finding that there are reactive states and moving away from them so that I could help people really learn focusing. So I, my work directly addresses compassion, inner relationship, being gentle with what you're finding inside, yeah. what to do when it's difficult to be friendly or gentle with what you're feeling, mm-hmm. and a kind of remediative process or, or a healing process whereby the parts of us that have been kind of stuck in reactive states can finally feel that they are being accepted, they feel safe, Mm -hmm. they feel that they're being heard and understood, and then they shift, and uh, real change becomes possible. And how is it that we, we can create safety with ourselves? We're creating safety with with ourselves when we move into presence, or Mm -hmm. what we also call self in presence. Mm -hmm. Self in presence is that state or ability of non-reactivity. So imagine, I, I ask my students often to imagine a shy animal or a shy child coming into the room what will help it feel safe? Mm-hmm. Well, to know that it won't be attacked, first of all. To know that it will be able to have its space. Mm-hmm. To just be understood as it is and not be told that it needs to be different. Notice how often, with our own selves, we're judging, evaluating, lecturing ourselves. Don't be that way. Be this way instead. How much energy is bound up in that inner process of trying to change ourselves through judgment and evaluation? And it's so tragic because actual change happens, starting with acceptance. Safety comes from being self in presence so that you're not identified with a judging part of yourself. And we can't just say to ourselves, Stop judging. Yeah. Stop evaluating. Because right. that's happening. But what we can do is disidentify. That is, step outside or step back from the judging parts. So if I find a place in me that doesn't want to do what I'm supposed to do, let's say I've got a piece of writing to finish. Yes. And, and I'm not getting around to it. Yes. And so I find that there's something in me that just doesn't want to do it. Yes. Maybe would rather play computer games or would would rather uh, sleep. Yes. Uh, So I say hello to something in me that doesn't want to do the writing. But before I can sit with it with interested curiosity, I feel the strong arising of a judgmental, impatient part of me. But I've got to do the writing. I promised. And what kind of a person am I if I don't do that? You And starts to lecture this other part, calling it lazy. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a non-safe environment for either part if they have that kind of 
conflict going on with each other. So I, self in presence, step in between those combatants. And I say, hello, I know you're there. To one, hello, I know you're there. To the other, I say, I'm here to listen to each of you. And rather than allowing them to fight, I take the role of the listener. What I'm understanding is that everything changes in the inner world, that nothing is permanent, that an impatient voice, a judgmental, critical, angry voice, if I turn toward it with compassion, it relatively quickly begins to show me that actually it's worried. Actually, it's very worried. Mm. It starts letting me know what it's worried about. Mm-hmm. And I let it know I hear that. And soon after that, it starts letting, letting me know what it wants, what its, what its hopes and dreams are for me. And I'm hearing that, too. So I turn back to the other one, the part that wants to sleep instead of finishing the writing. Right. It's got something to tell me, too, about what it's not wanting, what it's wanting, what it's needing. And as I listen to that, I can actually feel it come alive, mm-hmm. shift and change. So in the atmosphere of acceptance, we can feel transformation starting to happen inside ourselves. Whereas that earlier situation of inner war, inner struggle, is a situation of stuckness, of impasse. Nothing can change because the, the parts are polarized. They have to keep maintaining their polarized positions. So what I add to that system is bringing self and presence into that. An accepting, compassionate, listening quality in which everything starts to change. You speak about, uh, you also uh, perhaps give a name to this judging part. Yes. Inner critic. And also what I was fascinated by is you speak about sometimes uh, sending the inner critic into exile. Some people do send the critic into exile. One of my differences from Eugene Gemlin is that I don't believe that that's a good idea. Yes. So the problem is we criticize the critic. We say, I need to stop judging myself. Judge, go away. Right. But that, again keeps that energy unchanged. It, it keeps, and, and people know, you know, well, I always have an inner critic. It comes and always says the same thing. So I have to just be strong with it and tell it to leave. Yeah. But notice that if you would actually treat it with a strong quality of compassion, it doesn't keep coming back in the same way. It actually transforms. And this is one of the ways focusing is completely changed my life, is that um, I rarely feel criticized, either by other people or by myself. I rarely feel embarrassment anymore. Shame. Mistakes are a pleasure, something that I can learn from or, or laugh at. Because I've done this work with, I actually prefer to call it a controller, uh, because the real intention of this kind of part is to control and it uses criticism and it uses a number of other methods 
but controlling is its real intention. Uh, the tragedy is it's it's unable to control us. Uh-huh. It feels afraid because there's something that it sees that worries it, and it is actually unable to control at all. So the shift is to turn toward that part with curiosity from a strong sense of self and presence so that I'm not afraid of a critical part of me. I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. I've learned to trust that a critical or controlling part of me is actually worried and afraid. And underneath that worry and fear, there's something it's trying to help me with. And the process that I can go through, that I can show to people, will help them uncover what their critical parts are trying to help with and actually transform the experience of an inner critic or controller into a sense of having an ally so that what used to be a harsh voice that made us feel small turns into a friendly, helpful voice. So would that mean that... uh for instance, in a family with uh, harsh parents or alcoholic parents, uh, their their voices would be transformed? Well, their voices in us are transformed. In us, yes. And it's possible that the people outside will change as well because as we do this work, we actually change everyone around us. But yes, if you grew up in a family with harsh, critical voices, and now, many years later, as you live your life, you seem to hear those same harsh voices in your head. I think the first thing to understand is that what you're hearing now in your head is not actually your parents' voices, Uh but it's parts of you that felt the need to take on those voices. Actually... Those parts are attempting to protect you from those parents by being just a little bit harsher. Uh If there's something that your parents would criticize you for, a part of you can protect you from your parents' criticism by criticizing you a little sooner. You won't do those things. So we'll understand all that as we start working with these inner critical voices and, and not treat them as our parents, but as parts of us that are trying, worried about something, trying to prevent or protect us or avoid something, and trying to help us with something. So I think it's important to understand, we're not talking about the parents' motivations here. I see, I see. Your parents' motivations for criticizing you, I don't know. Right, right. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about, yeah. And I feel that it's really important at this moment to say that um, you give sessions and uh, you give sessions on the phone. Yes. And so I wanted to ask you if you want to say something about that. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, I give sessions. I give sessions on the phone. It's really fun to work with people all over the world by telephone. This work uh, seems to work beautifully uh, on the telephone. I also do phone classes, phone seminars, where a group of people are all calling in at the same time, meeting together on the phone, and I've been doing that for six or seven years now, very successfully. 
Our talk today has uh, centered, on, so far at least, on the inner critic or controller. Yes. I don't have a class right now, but within a few months I'll be scheduling a class on that particular topic. And I do have one coming up on the topic, releasing blocks to action, because I love helping people with this method who feel stuck in doing some action, whether it's writing, some other creative project, getting organized, um, getting some relationship in order. If you feel there's something you need to do but you're not doing it, that's what releasing blocks to action is about. And I also have a CD set on releasing blocks to action that will be coming into publication in just a few weeks. So all of this can be done from anywhere in the world, and that's the fun of it, really. And people can go to your website and find your phone number. And um, They what? can find my phone number. They can email me. Yes. Focusingresources.com is that website. And we... We have a lot of free resources on the website as well. There are articles. There are MP3 phone seminars that can be downloaded and listened to. So we, we're trying to be really educational and help people know that there is a different way of treating ourselves, and that way leads to bringing out our gifts, our, our passions into the world. We, you know, each as you know well, each of us came with a unique set of gifts. Yes. We want to express as fully as possible. I feel that's what my work is about, is enabling, giving people tools so that each of us can bring forth our true self. In the courses that I teach, uh, especially focusing level one, I teach people to do these processes with each other in partnership, mm-hmm. but not having to pay a professional week after week but really in a spirit of true community self-healing and transformation that we can actually be exchanging healing skills with each other. That's part of my vision mm-hmm. for what we can be doing in the world is helping each other live our full lives in cooperation and uh, compassion for each other. I've read that uh, Marshall Rosenberg's work has helped you in your own work. Could you speak about that? Yes, I'd be glad to. I was lucky enough to meet Marshall Rosenberg, who is the originator of nonviolent communication, in 1973, about six months after I met Eugene Gendlin. So he was an early influence on me and another person who helped me discover the ways that I was really kind of tangled up inside in feelings of obligation and uh, low Mm self-worth. I I stayed with focusing as a main direction, but I've always been a student and an admirer of Marshall Rosenberg as well. And his philosophy helped me develop the inner relationship style of focusing. Mm -hmm. Because Marshall Rosenberg teaches that no matter how difficult, violent, ugly, some action by a person may appear, that person is always attempting to meet their needs, to meet their legitimate needs, Mm -hmm. the kinds of needs that all people have. And if you can understand what needs that person is trying to meet, 
that shifts your relationship to them from anger and judgment to curiosity. And you can move on from there into a possible resolution of the difficulty you're having with them. Well, as I was sitting across from people working with them individually, mm-hmm. and they would encounter within themselves parts of them that seemed ugly, violent, uh, and so on, I remembered my work with Rosenberg. Uh-huh. And I thought, what if the same thing is true of what's inside of us? That every difficult part of us is trying to meet its legitimate needs. And that turned out to be true, without exception. There are no enemies inside people. Everything inside us is trying to help us to meet our legitimate needs. And even those parts of us that seem self-destructive turn out uh, to be tragic attempts to meet needs. Marshall's wonderful phrase, violence is a tragic attempt to meet needs. Tragic because violence is unlikely to succeed. Uh-huh. So there are parts of us, including inner critics, and also those parts that the critics are attacking, that are tragically attempting to meet needs in a way that's unlikely to succeed. So by bringing compassion for what might be behind that into the inner world, we create a situation where there's a real shift. So absolutely, Rosenberg's work has been very important influencing mine, and I appreciate him for that. Thank you. Yeah. I see that um, you speak about, or Jenlin speaks about, mind-seeking solution and body-seeking resolution. Can you speak about the difference between those two things? Well, I'm not sure where you're finding that quote. I'm sure he said it, but I want to also point to another quote. Yes in which he doesn't really agree with a body-mind split. I think in the, in the quote you're talking about, he's empathizing with people who do experience themselves that way. But truly, Jenlin doesn't believe in body versus mind. Oh, yes, speak about so, that. For him, body-mind is the whole thing. Now, I think what he's referring to there is that our bodies, that is, our living organisms, our whole beings, Mm-hmm. always have a, a knowing of the organism's right next step. So we are in process. We are process. Mm-hmm. And process means there is a next life step. And that's known in the tissues of the very body itself. Now, when we get caught up in an inner struggle, parts of us who try to come up with solutions that are separated from body process. Right. So an example of that would be if I have a tightness in my stomach. Yes. Focusing would lead me to bring awareness to the tightness, say hello to it, describe it, and get to know it and sense directly in it what brings the tightness. But often people don't do that. They don't know how. And so they say things like, it must be tight because I'm scared of failure. Yes. And I need to just say positive affirmations over and over. 
Right. <laughs> and how that's a process that's really separated. It's like having somebody in the room who's bothered by something and not turning toward that person and saying, what's the trouble? But instead just thinking, well, they must be worried about this, and maybe they need this, but never actually turning toward the person themselves and finding out. Right. So I think that's what he's referring to there, that when we seek solutions, it must be this and I need to do that. Yes, yes, We're yes. doing it in a way that's actually separated from the body living process itself. And when you are in the body process and you're finding the next steps there, there's a felt shift, a feeling of relief and release when you get it. And so to just go a little further with the example we were talking about, yes. if we were focusing with that tight stomach, we might get a sense, oh, it's not scared. It's really more a kind of nervousness. And there's a little relief. Yeah. Because for some reason to the body, the word nervousness fits more than the word scared. Uh-huh. So there's a relief right there, but it's still tight. And then we stay with it with a wondering, so what brings the nervousness? And, oh, it's not that it's afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. It's actually afraid. It's, I'm sensing now that it's actually afraid that it won't be understood. Oh. Example. Now, so oh, right. what comes like a surprise, it comes without the usual categories. It doesn't come in the way we expect it. And because we've been willing to, to be there with a kind of not knowing mind, a, a willingness to not know in advance what it is, that it reveals itself and that brings a relief. And the relief comes even before the outer world has changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then we have a new body, an already changed, carried forward, transformed body. We have a new body? In, in, can, right. Can you elaborate on that? Right. So, so the, the body that was tight had a hard time dealing with this issue. Uh-huh. But as I stay with the tightness, and I've understood, I've heard, I've listened, to the point where it's now released, I feel that release, warmth, flow moving through my body. I'm, ex- I'm experiencing that. The real world situation is still there waiting for me. But I now turn toward that real world situation in a different body than I had before. No longer a tight body, but right. now a released body. Right. So how I am there, the reactions I call forth from other people, the ability that I'm able to bring there is really much more expansive. Expansive. And that's the kind of transformation focusing helps with. And what I found is that even other people change in remarkable ways. If I do focusing on a relationship issue, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a brief example. My daughter, my, who was uh, 20 at the time, mm-hmm. had been living in another state with mm-hmm. another relative and wanted to move back in with me. Yes. I said yes immediately, and then I noticed that my body was saying no. So I got off the phone and did some focusing and called a focusing partner and 
did some focusing on this body feeling of no. Mm-hmm. And oh, I have to say as part of the story that I did first tell my daughter, well, I'm wondering, maybe I told you the wrong thing when I said yes, I'm, I'm questioning whether it's okay to have you move back in. And she was extremely upset. Uh-huh. Veils, crap, bursting into tears and so on. Okay, mm-hmm. so then I went to do some focusing. I really got clear exactly what my life was needing at that point. And there was a feeling of great release and relaxation. What it was about her moving back that didn't feel quite right. And even my sense of her and what she needed, my sense of the whole situation, included uh, her not moving back. The body actually shifted and changed for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was a few days later. I called her up to have another conversation. Yes. And before I could even tell her what had happened for me, she said, you know, I've been on the internet. I found some apartments nearby. I think this is going to be great. Wow. I know. I couldn't believe it, even though yeah. I've done this for years. Yeah. And, and yet I do hear this from people all the time. That we, and the reason is, and Jen Lynn tells us that we're not separate people. We, our separateness is something that comes as a result of our interaction. We are all in interaction with each other first. We're born in interaction. So what we can sense in our bodies is not just ourselves, but the whole situation that we're living. If we deliberately invite a body sense of the whole situation, we can actually feel change happen in that whole situation. And I've been experimenting with this process on a a larger uh, scale. Yes. Being able to get a body sense of world situations. This coming summer, we're doing a Focusing Institute summer school at Garrison, New York, August 21 to 27. And one thing I'm going to do there is, in that group, do an experiment of getting a group-felt sense of a world situation and noticing if we can feel a shift. Wow. A kind of macro-global level. Yes, I'm very interested in that. I mean, it should... It should work, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> we'll see. Will you be tuning in on Tuesday, uh, which is oh, yeah. Inauguration Day? I, I, I wouldn't be anywhere else on Tuesday than sitting uh, to watch the inauguration of Barack Obama. Yes. And, you know, what's clear to me is that he is a great example of self in presence. Someone who is able to be calm in the midst of turmoil. Uh-huh. Someone who's able to listen uh-huh. to people who have other points of view. Someone who doesn't seem uh, defensive or reactive when he's attacked. Mm-hmm. He's a great model, and I, I do sense that his election as the next president of the United States mm-hmm. is part of a larger shift in energy in our global sphere as a whole that 
let's all take advantage of that shift of energy. That is, this is our opportunity, yes. each of us, yes. to bring forth into the world all that we are. It's a time of incredible challenge and opportunity. There's an opening. This what? is not a time of blockage. This is a time of opening. And I'm very excited to see what's going to happen and to be part of that. What a relief. It's a relief. <laughs> a great relief. Wonderful. Very excited. And notice now, focusing is not just about problems. We can feel in our bodies the felt sense of relief, excitement, joy, mm-hmm. curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we'll all be doing that, I hope, as we watch that inauguration, as we sit, as we sit right now, mm-hmm. uh, two days before. Right. And feel what that's going to be like. We can feel that on a, at a whole body level and not just intellectually, and it's beautiful. And Wiser Cornell, we're going to bring this conversation around and uh, I want to ask you what you would like to add in our last moments. Thank you for that invitation. It feels very complete what we've said today. I'm satisfied and happy. Good, me too. I, I would just say to, to each person uh, who is listening to take the experiment of pausing, bringing awareness into your body, and being gentle to whatever you find there. And notice what happens. So thank you very much for your great, for this great conversation. Thank you, Anne. Mm-hmm. Goodbye.